Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. My grandmother gave me this. Uh, she has since passed away. It is... <clears throat> an official, certified apostle's coin. We know it's certified because the paper inside this case says Certificate of Authenticity, apostle's coin. She told me that it would empower my prayer life. Now, all the names of the 12 apostles are on the back of this coin. I'm not sure if they signed off on it or not. It also has a picture of Jesus. I'm sure that is kind of what he looks like. I'm kind of mad that my grandmother was tricked into buying this official apostles coin. You know, there are hucksters and tricksters, and liars who use the name of Jesus to steal from those not necessarily easily tricked, just sometimes we can be tricked, or we get desperate, or we wonder why our prayers are not being answered. And so the person on the TV will say something like, send in your gift, monetary gift, And I'll send you this prayer handkerchief that I have blessed. And if you receive this prayer handkerchief, your prayers will all come true. Or this prayer rug. If you send in your gift, your monetary gift, you will, God will provide you a husband, is the new one. You send in your gift, then God will bless you back and you'll have more money than what you sent in. This is not a new lie from Satan. It is one that's been going on since the day of Jesus. If anybody would like to buy an official certified apostle's coin, I'd be willing to sell it to you. But it will not make your prayer life any more full. And even though it is certified, it will not make your prayers any more powerful, but it is a powerful detriment to your bank account. Jesus gives us instructions in Luke, at the end of Luke chapter 20, and at the beginning of chapter 21, to try to avoid these lies to try to watch out and be aware that they exist. And he even tells us some ways, I think, in the Scripture to avoid it. Now, you've got to remember that when Scripture was written, the chapters and verses were not there. They were put in much later, a thousand years after the Scripture was written or so, maybe 1,500 years. Now, the chapters and verses are great ways to find things in the Scripture and turn to the page you want to go to. 
<clears throat> but they're not, they're not there written by the Holy Spirit. They're just provided by man to help you. So the end of chapter 20 and the beginning of chapter 21, I believe, are, is one passage that should not necessarily be broken up. <clears throat> and there's a story. You'll have to excuse me. I have, uh, still have that frog from last week. There's a story in chapter 21 that if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard, but you uh, maybe haven't heard it this way before. And any time you've been around church a long time and somebody says this is new and you've never heard it before, you need to investigate. But once I saw this particular view of Scripture, I can't unsee it. You might have heard it. Luke chapter 21, where the poor widow gives all she has to live on in the temple treasury. Anybody ever heard that story before? <clears throat> You've probably heard it with the phrase like, look at what sacrificial giving looks like through this poor widow's offering. Or look at her trust. She really trusted that God would take care of her, and so she gave all that she had. But I got to tell you, Luke 21, when it mentions this poor widow who gave all of her money, it doesn't say anything about faith or sacrificial giving or trust in God or that God would even bless her for her gift. That is something we have often read into the Scripture. But I think if we look at it in the context of where it is written, we don't come to this conclusion at all. And that happens at the end of chapter 20, verse 45. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, we'll see where Jesus begins this warning <clears throat> how to avoid being tricked like my grandmother was tricked. We'll see uh, this, this uh, idea of what happens if I've already been tricked or scammed by one of these peddlers of the gospel. And then we'll look at God's justice is coming. We don't have to take revenge. I don't have to hunt down the televangelist who sold my grandmother this coin to increase her prayers. God will avenge. <coughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate the water. I actually just like drinking in front of you while making you thirsty. Here's the end of chapter 20. While all the people were listening, there was a big crowd around Jesus. <clears throat> they were paying attention to every word. He turns and looks at his disciples, and he says to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw <clears throat> a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. 
All these people put in, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said this. As for what you see here, there will come a time when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of these, every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will the sign be that these things are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the end is near, the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. For these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. You see, that widow story is put right in the middle of two passages that talk about people being taken advantage of and deceived and lied about in the name of God to fill somebody's pockets. And Jesus says, I'm going to tear that false religious system down to the ground. I don't think the widow's story is what we've heard it be before. Notice it didn't say, notice he didn't say, now you go and do likewise. Notice he didn't say, look at her faith. Notice he didn't say, look at how she trusts God to provide for her. Why would she give two lepta? That's the smallest coin. Well, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law invented a rule don't just give one lepta in the offering plate. Make sure you give two. There's a false religious belief system set up by these teachers of the law, and they devour widows' houses. They take everything from these widows that don't have anything, and they take the rest of it until they are destitute. It doesn't hurt the people that have money if they fall victim to it, it, they're still walking home with something. But the people it takes advantage to, the people who are desperate, who really need help, kills them. And we got to watch out for that. How can we not be tricked by these false prophets and these false teachers and these lies about money and the devil's schemes? I think there are two ways that we can not be tricked. Jesus says, beware of these teachers of law. They walk around, they, love, they like to walk around with flowing robes, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. How can we not fall victim? Because that lie still goes on today. I think we ought to know our enemy, we ought to know the truth about money, and I think we ought to know the devil's schemes. We've got to know the gospel and know our enemy. Those are two ways not to be tricked. Know the gospel and know the enemy. First, we've got to know the gospel. FBI, when they train their counterfeit agents on how to spot a counterfeit bill, they lock them in a room with the real thing. They put them and make them study the $100 bill hour after hour after hour after hour. They study the $20 bill hour after hour after hour after hour. And when they come in contact with the fake bill, they may not be able to tell immediately what's wrong, but they're subconscious and they're conscious. They know something's not right. 
They can feel it. They can smell it. They can see it. And they can't identify what's wrong. But they know something is wrong because they have immersed themselves in what is true about the real thing. If we want to keep ourselves from being tricked by these teachers of the law that will sell you an apostle's coin, certified by the way and authentic, we have to know what the truth is. We have to know the gospel. The gospel, the good news, actually starts with bad news. The bad news is sin has separated us from God. It has made our soul and character and body sick. And we owe a penalty we cannot earn or pay. If you commit a capital offense, you deserve a capital punishment. If you sin against an eternal God, you will get an eternal punishment. Not only is our soul sick, but we are bound for hell because of our sin. That's the bad news. The gospel is good news. The good news is Jesus wants to reunite us with God. He wants to take away our soul sickness, our sin sickness, and he wants to pay the penalty that we owe God because of our sin. If you drive too fast and you get a ticket for speeding, you must pay the penalty for the law breaking. If you sin against God, there is a ticket due and you must pay the penalty or in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he pays it for you. An eternal God deserves an eternal debt payment, and it's paid by eternal God, Jesus Christ, on the cross. His death covers over your sin. His sacrifice pays the penalty you owe. That's the good news. We have to know this gospel inside and out. We have to tell it to ourselves every day, and we need to tell it to others. And when we do, we will recognize when the fraud appears. Everywhere in Scripture, when Jesus or the Bible talks about the urgency to come to Christ because of the fires of hell, anytime there's an urgent message, you must do it now. This has got to happen today. You can't wait another minute. It points to Jesus Christ and nothing else. That's the gospel. And there is an urgency. You need to decide today. You need to commit your life to Christ today. And you need to do everything in your power. Make every effort to enter by the narrow gate. You need to do it today. But if you see a huckster, a scam artist who peddles the gospel, they will give you an urgent need, an urgent message, but they won't bring it back to Christ. And that's how you can see the trickery. Remember the preacher not too long ago? He had an urgent need to buy a new jet airplane. And people gave him money. And he said, you send in me your gift and you will be blessed. Nowhere in there does he mention Jesus. And then finally he does. He says, if I have a jet, I'll be able to fly around and tell more people about Jesus. But the urgent need wasn't for Christ or salvation. It was for his jet. You see the difference? But you see how somebody with great charisma and talk a good game can trick somebody who needs a prayer answer. The Holy Spirit works the same way. Everywhere in Scripture where the Holy Spirit manifests itself, especially in the gifts of tongue, it points back to Jesus Christ and salvation. That is the reason why we have spiritual gifts to give encouragement each other to point each other to jesus christ if someone encounters you or you encounter somebody else and they're speaking in a language that you don't understand and they claim it's from the holy spirit if they don't immediately point you to jesus christ you can be pretty sure it's not the holy spirit that's speaking through them 
This happened to me two weeks ago. A man came into our office. He needed money. He wanted to plant a church in Clarksville. Well, that's pretty good, but I don't have any money, brother. So what can I do? Well, you can pray for me. And then he started listing off the things I could pray for, and none about which was the Jesus Christ or the gospel or sharing the news. And then he said, you know, I know the Church of Christ doesn't do a lot of speaking tongues, but I do. And all of a sudden he went off on a track of a language that I had never heard before, a language he didn't know what it said either. And he said, see, there's the Holy Spirit right there. And then he went on to tell me all of his needs and he, how I should pay for them. But the Holy Spirit didn't point me back to Jesus Christ. And I can recognize, because I've studied the gospel, now I'm not above or beneath being tricked. I can be tricked just like anybody else. But in that moment, I could recognize that what he was giving me was not the gospel of Jesus Christ or an urgent need to get me to Jesus or an urgent need for anybody else to get to Jesus. But he had a lot of things going on that I'm sure somebody will give him money for. Beware, they devour widows' houses. They take advantage of the people who are in desperate need of an answer for prayer or in desperate need of company or in desperate need of belonging or in desperate need of being a part of something or in desperate need of some. That's where the church comes in. We're supposed to keep the widows' houses from being devoured because we show up in our Christ to them with love. We have to know the gospel. We also have to know our enemy. And one of the ways the enemy used, I already mentioned about uh, pointing to Jesus Christ, but there is this lie about money that the enemy will use. And the lie about money is the same lie uh, and the same principle that goes across for uh, a bunch of things. Um, physical fitness, emotional healing, and your bank account all follow the same principle. There is no get-rich-quick scheme that works. There is no get-out-of-debt scheme quickly that works. There is no lose-weight-and-keep-it-off-quickly scheme that works. There is no emotional healing. If you've been hurt real bad and you want instant change, that's pretty rare. But the principle that money follows, that the same for our physical fitness and emotional healing, it follows the same thing. Little bits over time make cumulative effect. Let me say this again because this is the principle if you don't hear it, you're going to fall for one of the lies Satan uses to get your money in the name of God. Little bits over time provides a cumulative effect. If you want to lose weight and get fit, you have to eat less sugar and more broccoli. Not for a week and not for two weeks. And not for three weeks. You need to do this for years. And over the course of a year, you will lose 30 to 50 pounds if every week you eat less sugar and eat more broccoli and add a little bit of walking. Cumulative effect over time. Emotional health, if you have some burns and scars and injuries to you, God could heal you instantly and make you emotionally whole. That's pretty rare. What he likes to do is he likes to take us through a process, a little bit over time, 
forgiveness and healing and service until we are made whole. Spiritual maturity is the same way. You don't need one sermon that's going to change you. You don't need one Bible study that's going to change you. You need a daily dose of Scripture every day over a long period of time. You need thousands of sermons because I know during this sermon, some of you have already drifted off. You've drifted back in. Some of you have fallen asleep. You've woken up. And you hear little bits of it. It's okay. That's all right. I'm not offended. Sometimes I put myself to sleep. And you get these little bits over time. And it nourishes your soul and encourages you and these little bits of scripture over time and it builds up. It's kind of like building up a healthy, okay, you're following me along, little bits over time, and that leads to spiritual maturity. This is how money works. That's why I'm so glad that Cheryl is passing out. Today is uh, Family Sunday, and so we're going to have the kids in here second hour. Um, They won't go to Kid City. They'll be in here. She's passing out these bags for families to take home, and inside these bags is a great way to teach kids how this principle works. She, in this bag is uh, devotion, a bookmark, and explanation. And uh, she has boxes that are, oh, I forget the colors. Give, save, and spin. Let's reverse this. Save, give, and spin. I don't remember the colors. Some of them have stickers, some of them don't. You teach your kids. By the way, this is good for adults. You pick a percentage of your income that comes in and you save it. A little bit over time, you're going to have cumulative effect and cumulative growth. One man at his 50th anniversary, he, I can't tell this in the second hour when the kids are here, he took his wife to Hawaii for their 50th anniversary. His kids asked, Dad, how can you afford that? He said, every time your mother and I made love, I put a dollar in our savings account. Their 50th anniversary, he took his wife to Hawaii. He got back, and he said, I've already started the next account. A little bit over time, cumulative effect. After you save some, you also choose a percentage that you give away just to train yourself in generosity, just to help others. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is all the information you need to know about how God determines you should give. You should give to serve. You should give to encourage. You should give to get a thanksgiving that goes to God. You should give to make a difference in somebody else's life. And you should give so you can learn how to trust God more. Be aware, there's some people that's going to trick you, so watch out for them and learn how to give. And you set aside some every week. I love how 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I think, says, set aside a little bit at the beginning of every week in keeping with your income, not your whole income, just a proportion. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, a proportion where you're not under compulsion, you don't feel bad about it, you actually set it aside with joy because you're going to know it's going to make a difference. If you can't give with joy, you need to hold your gift back. You need to examine the gift and you need to examine your heart. Because it may be the gift you felt under compulsion, you felt like somebody's pressuring you to do it, you felt guilty about doing it, that's not the right way to give, God says. But maybe it's your heart and you're just selfish and you want to keep it for yourself. You need to examine your heart or the gift. And then you need to learn how to give consistently. We teach our children that, and that's good for adults. And then after that, God says, you know, he gave you stuff you can enjoy. Everything he's given you, you can enjoy. You're allowed to spend. You're allowed to have enjoyment. You're allowed to have pleasure. But pleasure cannot be your number one concern. 
If it is, we get these things reversed and we end up not having any savings or any gift giving, any encouragement with our giving because we have spent it all on ourselves. This is a lie straight from Satan and it will take your last two small, very copper coins, all you have to live on. You'll spend on your pleasure and you'll go home and die. Maybe not today. Everybody following along? This is really important. Jesus says, we got to watch out for this. So we got to know the gospel. we got to know our enemy. It comes in the form of false teachers. It comes in the form of lies about, women, uh, about money. And then um, it also comes in the form of spiritual powers. Our struggle, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The devil will use tricks and lies. He is always going to lie to you about God, and he is going to sow doubt, and he's going to do it by using little bits of truth wrapped up in a lie. Did God really say that? Can you really trust him? Will he really provide for you? Will he really give you what you need if you learn how to save and give and god says yeah i will i'm going to show you this principle spiritual growth emotional healing physical fitness money it's a godly principle that stretches across all aspects of our life a little bit at a time equals cumulative growth but what if we've fallen victims to one of these scams what if we've been tricked by satan or one of his uh, minions, or by the lie, we just tell ourselves, like, I can spend it all on myself. Well, if we've been tricked, we need to uh, pray for our enemies, and we need to trust God for justice. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Do you hear that? If you want to attack your enemy, if you want to hurt your enemy back, you are not qualified to be a child of God. He says, act like Jesus. Pray for your enemies and bless those who attack you. Whoa. So whoever sold this coin to my grandmother, I have to pray for. She was on limited income. We all have somebody in our family who makes a mistake. One of my cousins stole from my grandmother. And here she is spending $100 on this coin. I'll make you a good deal on it, by the way. But God says, I'm supposed to pray for the person that tricked her. It's hard, isn't it? I want to be a child of God, though. Lord, I pray the cement truck falls. That's not, that's not it. That's not the prayer he's saying. Bless him. Bless him. Why does he say this? I think he says this because we have to trust his justice and judgment, not our own. See, I know and you know right and wrong. You know when justice has been, aver you know when something bad has happened and somebody needs to pay for it. You know this. We know this. It's in us to know this. But what is not within us all the time is a perfect laying out of judgment and justice. We don't know the exact amount of pain we need to inflict to pay that penalty, but God does. And so he tells us to trust him 
that judgment will happen. And he tells us that in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So I can't pray for a truck fall on their head. That would be a curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. You can't go burn them down. You can't go burn them out. You can't go kill them. You can't pray that, well, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God knows exactly how much to repay someone. He knows exactly how much punishment to inflict. And he has it scheduled. Our job is to trust that he's going to take care of it and bring about accurate, true justice. In the meantime, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to trust that God's going to bring about the right justice. When is it going to occur? That's my final question that I want to answer. And it answers in Luke chapter 20, verse 21. He says in chapter 20, verse 47, these men will be punished most severely. There is a punishment coming. In chapter 21, Jesus says, this false religious system, I'm going to tear it down stone by stone. Not one stone will be left upon another. They will all be torn down. And the disciples said, when will these things happen? What will be the sign? Jesus says there's going to be a lot of things that happen first. The end's not going to come when you want it to, but it's going to come. And when it does, it's going to be terrible. Because somebody sold my grandmother a coin, tricking her out of money, they have sinned against an eternal God, and they will get eternal justice bound for hell fires of hell forever how many of us have ever sinned against God and yet the grace of Christ has covered over our sin and his death paid for our sin penalty my job is to go find the person that sold this coin to my grandmother and pray for them that they get saved that they would have the same grace that covered me. That they would be blessed with grace like I was. And if they accept the grace of Christ, if they accept Jesus Christ to be their salvation, their Savior, their Lord and Master, then His death covers over their penalty that they caused harm in my grandmother's life. His death is big enough, and I need to know that truth. And live that truth. And I need to try to get them to accept that truth. If they don't, God's judgment is coming. Not one stone will be left on another. They will be punished most severely. That's a dangerous place to be. Does my heart ache more that they will spend eternity in hell? Or do I desire revenge 
That's a revelation on my character. And so Jesus gives us these steps to take. Small cumulative effects. Pray for those who hurt you, attack you, and persecute you. And bless them. Trust me with with the revenge. I can do that. I can do that. In conclusion, examine what I said about the widow, chapter 21. Because you're going to read a lot of commentaries that say, no, this is, this is what sacrificial giving looks like. Well, look at, the, look at the text. See if it says that. And if you can't find it in the text, and I can't, look at it in the context. That's how we read Scripture. The number one way to understand Scripture is to read it in the context it's written. Read it in the paragraph that comes before, the paragraph that comes after, the chapter that comes before, the chapter that comes after, the whole of the Bible and what it points to. You can go back and look at Matthew chapter 23 and 24 and Mark chapter 13, and it has the same passage that Jesus is talking about here in Luke. And he doesn't give any indication that there is a sign of sacrificial giving, but he gives every indication that judgment is coming for those who trick people using God as their foundation for their lives. And then we need to examine ourselves. Do we know the gospel? Do we know the lies of the enemy? And are we willing to pray through persecution and attack? Are we willing to bless our enemies who have hurt us and hurt our loved ones to try to win them to Christ? We need to examine the passage. We need to examine ourselves. A great way to examine ourselves is in communion. We have communion every time we gather together. In fact, uh, we read the scripture that says, do this in remembrance of me, and we take that to mean actually participating in communion, to actually eat and the bread and drink the cup. I, I met someone uh, not too long ago. They said, I do it all in my mind. I, well, I think that's fine, uh, but I don't think that's what we're commanded to do. I want to obey Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So when we gather together, we actually take bread and remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We recognize that it covers over our sin and forgives all the sins we've ever committed and all the sins we ever will commit. And that encourages us to do the same to those who hurt us. And we take that cup and we drink it. We recognize as the liquid flows down our throat that spiritually the blood has covered over us to make us whole and healed. And we can live up to that healing. Small, cumulative steps over time. So as you participate in communion today, would you examine, take it in a worthy manner, examine your own heart, and then recognize that Christ has forgiven you so that you can go and forgive others. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time where we remember your sacrifice. We remember the forgiveness we have and the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do likewise. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.